We thank you that you do miracles in our lives every day. Whatever it is you need, you just reach out and you grab. And you say, thank you, Father. Thank you for this in my life. You don't have to go without me. You don't have to wonder why does it seem like things just don't seem to be connecting. We grab hold of God as God grabbed hold of us. And we thank you for miracles in our lives. Jesus. Well, thank you, Toph. We've been doing a series now for several weeks. I, I, I said last week, I don't know how many weeks it's been now. I'd have to go back and, and count it up. It just keeps going and going. But I think we're going to start wrapping it up today. We'll see. You never know. Uh, he's been changing my messages like the day before for a few weeks now. So we'll see where he takes us. But we've been doing a series now on faith for a while. And this is where we've been preaching out of. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says, Now this is the confidence. Now, I love that word. Confidence is not a wishy-washy word. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I'm just not really sure. It maybe, it kind of, it could be. No, confidence, when you see a confident person, they're like, yeah, this is how it is. You know, when you see a leader get up and they're like, okay, I need you to do this. I need you to go ahead this. You think of the general of the army, the one giving the orders. When he says, people go. And that's the type of confidence that's in this word. It's, you know, it's also, you could use other words here. You could say, this is the faith that I have in him. This is the trust that I have in him. This is the assurance that I have in him. These aren't wishy-washy words. These are for sure this is how it is words and so this is John speaking towards the end of his life he he lived the longest out of all the disciples he lived well into his 90s possibly even to a hundred depending on the dates that you look at and uh, he had seen he'd lived the life with Jesus for three and a half years and now he'd been living his life with Jesus in him continuing from that day on now for a number of years he was a young disciple when Jesus got a hold of him. And so he's reflecting back on his life and he's trying to impart the things that he saw as important that was needed to be reminded of in the body of, the Christ, of Christ at that time. And so he writes to them in 1 John and says, this is the confidence that I have in him. Now it's important that he says that my confidence is in him. His confidence wasn't in himself. His confidence wasn't in his neighbor. His confidence wasn't in his pastor. His confidence was in God. And so he says, this is the confidence that I have in him. That if we, he didn't say that if I, he said that if we, he's talking to the body of Christ. He's writing an open letter to the churches. He's saying that if we, he wasn't just talking to first century Christians, he's talking to Christians in general. So that this is the confidence that you can have in him as well. That if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. Isn't it good to know that God is listening when you're talking in line with the word of God? You want to get a direct line to heaven? Find out what the Bible says about you and put it on your lips. You'll be talking directly to God. And it says if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have. Everybody say have. have. Not might. Not maybe, not woulda, coulda, shoulda, whatever word you want to put in there. He says that we have the petitions we have asked of him. So this is the boldness and this is the confidence that John had. And you know, John wasn't the only one with that type of boldness. 
Jesus had the same boldness. We see other disciples had the same boldness. We also read out of Mark 11, 22 and 23, which says, Jesus said to them, have faith in God. Again, he starts the same place. Your focus, your confidence, your assurance, your trust should be in God, not in your ability, not in your situation, not in your net worth, what you have and what you don't have. Your ability and your trust should be resting fully in God. And verse 23, it says, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever, everyone say whoever. whoever, not if you're a disciple, not if you're Jesus himself, he said whoever, that's an encompassing word, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So Jesus is telling his disciples, if you know what I want, my desires for you, if you go ahead and believe them and speak them, you will have them. Faith always begins where the will of God is known. And so with, in 1 John, he said, this is the confidence that if I ask anything according to his will, if you're uncertain about what his will is, get in the word. You know, we have some great cards at the back that can help you focus your faith that will give you scriptures on certain topics. Research and find out what the Bible says about your situation rather than just saying, oh, I wish it was better. Go ahead and put your faith into it being better. And so he says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed. And then he says, but that believes in his heart that those things which he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. So there's a, there's a corresponding action to your faith. There's something you believe and you put it on your mouth. He says in verse 24, therefore, because of everything I just said in the last verse, whatever things you ask, how do you ask? You have to actually speak. You know, it's really frustrating sometimes with Pierce. Pierce is like a mute most of the time. He doesn't, he'll nod at you or he'll smile at you. But when you try to get him to talk, he doesn't say anything. Pierce, would you like cornflakes? Pierce, would you like Cheerios? Would you like eggs? Come on, boy, you got to give me some sort of response. you got to ask for something. And a lot of us are like that with God. There's things that we want, but we sit there and go... And we play the mute with him. And he says, if you want it, ask. It, it, the Bible says that he knows what you have need of before you even ask for it. But you still got to ask. So he says, therefore, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. We see this story repeated in Matthew chapter 21, where Jesus says, so he answered and said to them, assuredly, or most certainly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So, so far, there's three. Well, why don't we go one more and do a fourth? In John 16, it says this in verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy might be full. I like that he has, takes pleasure in you being happy. He has no problem. we got to get rid of the angry God syndrome. 
Too many Christians are believing that God is upset with them and that he just, there's just nothing they can do to make happy because they're just not good enough. My goodness, you have been made good enough by the blood of Jesus. It's not about what you have done. His grace has poured over your life and my goodness, you stand justified and righteous and perfect before his sight. That doesn't mean you always act perfect down here. You know, there's things that we do that I'm sure God goes, oh my goodness. But that doesn't change how he feels about you because he's put all your sin, all your wrongdoings, all your shame, all your actions onto Jesus and buried it in the grave. And so he says, ask and you shall receive that your joy might be full. I wanted to give you a larger picture beyond John this morning because I want you to know that this is not an isolated topic. You know, a lot of people have more faith in 1 John 1, 9 where they say that if anybody's committed sin, you go to ask God and he'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so they put an emphasis on, well, you know, if you've screwed up, you've got to go to God every time and make sure that you've confessed it because if you don't confess it, you'll be going to hell. Well, so much for the blood of Jesus and the grace of God. You realize that's only ever mentioned once in the Bible, but they have more faith in that than what God says about you asking and receiving? Come on. The Bible has lots more than these four to say about this. These are just the ones that I'm focusing on this morning. So we need to put emphasis where God puts emphasis, and we need to put minor issues in minor places. God says, if you believe in line with his word, it shall be done with you. Now, a lot of people try to take this out of its context, and I've seen lots of people do it. God, I'm believing you for $500 billion dollars. Do you need it? Do you even know what you would do with $500 billion? Why don't you start believing God for five? You know? Work your way along. He'll meet you where you are and grow you. But we don't need to be acting stupid about this. Jesus said you ask and you have not because you ask amiss because you want to lavish it upon your lusts. God's not interested in fulfilling your lusts. He's interested in fulfilling the true desires of your heart. And he's got a plan, he's got a calling, he's got a purpose for your life. And when you get hand in hand with his purpose for you, my goodness, you'll see miracles. So last week we preached a message to you called, What World Are You Framing? And we said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. How did God create this world? It was by faith and by his words. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the earth and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters and then God said, let there be light and there was light. So creation took place in God in verse 1. But nothing happened until verse 3, when God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then we go through and we see seven acts of creation that were all set forth because there was seven words spoken to them. What have you been creating in your life that you don't want to really see, but your words have been creating your environment? You realize you were made in God's image and in his likeness? Just as he is a speaking spirit, so are you. And we want to try and play by different rules. God gave us the example. He gave us the best example in Jesus. That's how he did it. If you want to know how to live your life, watch how Jesus did it. Believe, speak, act, and let it be done. Amen? And so we were using the story last week of the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. 
And this, we said that this story happens as an interruption of another story. Jesus had been asked to come to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. And as he's on his way there, this woman interrupts him. And it starts out that she, when she heard of Jesus, she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And I told you that in the New, the new Living Translation and the New International Version and the New American Standard and several other new, more modern translations, they say, for she thought to herself, if you may only touch his clothes. And a lot of Christians find themselves in that position. They're thinking about what they want instead of speaking it out. The word used here is not the word for thoughts. That's unthemias. The word that she used here, for she said, is lego, means to speak, to declare, to come forth out of your mouth. So that we don't want to be like the religious people who want you to think about it. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you to sit there and think about it rather than do something about it. And we told you, you don't run at your giant with your mouth shut. David, when he got before Goliath, he didn't go up there and go, okay, he's thinking, I can take this guy. I can take this guy. No! He got out there before Goliath and said, Hey, you uncircumcised Philistine! How dare you defy the God of Israel! I'm going to cut your head off, and I'm going to feed you to the birds! And then he put some action to his words. And he cut off his head, and he fed it to the birds. We don't often tell that part when we're in Sunday school. We clean it up to be a little nice. But that's what he did. He said, I'm going to kill you, Goliath. And then he followed through. And he took the head... And he went back to Jerusalem, and he buried it. And you want to know the place what they, it became? Golgotha, the place of the skull. Do you know where Jesus was crucified? At Golgotha, the place of the skull. It's called that because Goliath's head's in the hill. David did not run at his giant with his mouth shut. We should not try and try and follow another example. We should do what the Word of God says. Align your words with what he said. I love what the Amplified said. It says, For she kept saying, If I'll only touch his garments, I shall be restored to life. And so she did what she said. She crawled through the crowd. Not supposed to be there. She was unclean under the law. If someone would have seen her there, it means instant death. They were to drag her out of the city and stone her to death. She was not to be in a crowd. If people came towards her, she would have had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that they would know to stay away. Well, you know what? When your faith takes hold with you, you'll do things that society says you shouldn't. But that's okay. Follow your God anyways. And so she pushes her way and claws her way through the crowd that's thronging Jesus, and she grabs onto his garment, and immediately she's made well. And Jesus immediately recognized power had gone out of him. When you place a demand on the Holy Spirit and you follow through, you are met with power, and God recognizes it right away. And most people would think that God would be upset when you talk in terms like that of taking hold and placing a demand. But do you know what he said? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go into peace and be healed of your affliction. 
Now, it says go in peace in the English, but it's into peace in the Greek. Because I'm sure that this woman was filled with a lot of anxiety and worry over everything that had been going on in her life. How she had said that she had been sick for a long time. She spent all her money. She didn't get any better. She only got worse. I'm sure that fear and anxiety had tried to come a hold of her. But you know what? Faith causes that to go. So he says, go into peace and be healed. So that's where we've been. Now here's where we're going. This morning I want to preach a message to you called Journey. When God takes you through instead of over. You know, we often have a preconceived idea of how we want God to do things in our lives. And we go to Him believing and then we get upset when He doesn't do it that way. God, I thought you were going to do this. Well, stop thinking about it and just let Him do it. You realize that it's not your job to fulfill. He told you to believe and speak. He's the fulfillment. He's the one that does it. And oftentimes we're in our journey of faith. We get frustrated along the way because God didn't do it our way. Well, you know, he did lots of things, lots of different ways in the Bible. You know, when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples, a storm came up on the Sea of Galilee. He was asleep in the boat and his disciples were freaking out. We're all going to die. We're drowning. And one of them, I don't, I'm sure it was Peter. Maybe it was Thomas because he was always a big doubter. They woke him up and they said, don't you care that we're dying? And Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. And he said, peace, be still. And the storm stopped. The other story we were using with Peter walking on the water, after they got back in the boat with Jesus, it says immediately the storm stopped and they were at the shore. So we see Jesus did it that way that time, or those two times. But you know Paul? Paul went through several storms. He was on several shipwrecks. Paul had a bit of a rough life. But you know, when the storm came up when they were on their way to Rome, Paul didn't get up on the stern of the ship and say, Peace, be still. You know what he did? He went to God and asked God how he wanted to do it. And he, an angel showed up to talk to him. And he went up to the, ca the captain of the ship and says, we've been in a bad situation, boys, but you know what? An angel of the Lord has been with me this night. And this is what he said. No one's going to die, but we're losing the ship. And that's exactly what happened. They all survived. They ended up going to the island of Malta. And Paul got to minister on Malta, get people saved on Malta. He even went up to the, the commander or the governor of the island and was able to speak to him. And so God was able to sidetrack those Roman centurions who were trying to take Paul to Rome so that he could go and minister in Malta. And if they had the ship, guess what? They were not stopping in Malta. So just because God did it a different way, they all got saved. But one, the ship got saved with them, and the other, the ship didn't. So just because God chooses to do it a different way than you might have thought, that's okay. It's that he does it. And he can do it a million different ways. You just need to take the restrictions off of him. Because when we're saying, God, this is exactly how it needs to be, you know what happens? You get frustrated. And when you're frustrated, your faith does not flow. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith 
to faith, meaning there's lots of moments of faith you're going to have in your life. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And we often look at faith as moments, but faith is really more like a journey. You know, some journeys are longer than others, but all have the same basic elements. Element number one, there's a destination you want to reach. What was the destination with the woman of the issue of blood? She wanted to be healed. What was the destination of Peter? He wanted to walk on the water. What was the destination of Elijah? He wanted it not to rain for three and a half years because that's what God told him to. He wanted there to be provision in the pots because God said the widow would provide. What did the spies want? They wanted to take the promised land. So there's always a destination in your journey of faith, where you are going. It's the reason why you're having the journey. Second element that's in all of them is there is an action that you need to take. The woman with the issue of blood, when she heard of Jesus, she first spoke and then she crawled her way through the crowd. She didn't stay over off to the side and say, I wish Jesus would come here. No, she got off of her butt and went to Jesus. There was an action involved. When Peter wanted to walk on the water, he said, Jesus, if it's you, command me to come. And Jesus said, come. And Peter didn't sit there and go, okay, Holy Spirit, lift me out of the boat. No, he threw his leg up over the side of the boat and he got out and walked. When Elijah needed provision and the woman said, there's no more flour and there's no more oil, he said, go ahead and make me a cake anyway. It'll never run out. When the two spies out of the 12 came back and said, we're going to take the land, you know what they did when everybody else said they couldn't? They trained a new generation to go with them. And 40 years later, they marched into the land and took it. So there's always action involved. And if your faith doesn't have action, you don't believe it. And people don't like to hear that, but I always have to tell myself, do I believe this? And then I look at what I've been doing and I say, no, I haven't. Let's stir my faith again. There's always action involved. Third element, there is always opportunity to give up, compromise, and go home. Peter got out on the water. He'd already walked a distance from the boat and he started to look around and he got afraid and began to sink. And he could have sunk all the way, but he didn't. He turned to Jesus and said, Save me, Jesus! Forty years is a long time for the spies. They could have said, You know what? Everybody else is dying. We can just join the dead. No, but they held on. There's always going to be opportunity to give up, shut up, and go home. Fourth, there is always victory for those who press on. So this morning I want to tell you a story, a little bit about a journey that Robin and I had had over the last little while. And some people had asked a while ago that we share it, and I just never really felt that it was time. This morning I'm going to. Because, you know, sometimes we hear stories out of the Bible and we go, oh, but that was the people in the Bible. Well, you know what? It's those who believe, they see miracles. And so the story I want to tell you this morning started about a uh, year and a half, no, actually, no, it was late 2015, early 2016. And we had been living in the first house that we had bought together for about a year and a half, two years at that point. 
And that house was a miracle. It was a blessing to us. It, uh, we had been living before that in an apartment with, we had just had our second kids, kid, and it was a two-bedroom apartment. We were running out of space. It was like we were all low on top of each other. So we were like, God, we need more. And so I was out of prayer time. It was when we were back in our old building. And uh, we were having a prayer time. Just a few people came out that night, and we were praying. And I just felt in my heart God say, I have a home for you, and I have a home for the church. And it was just something simple. It was not like God boomed out this loud voice from heaven, but it, it witnessed with my heart. And I said, yeah, God, you have a home for us, and you have a home for this church. And so I made that every time I prayed. That became my confession. God, you have a home for me, and you have a home for our church. And, you know, you'd think that the next day things would just all of a sudden open up and it'd be done. No. It was several months later then we found out about this building and it just kind of things fell together and we were able to pay cash and walk into this building debt free and it was wonderful, wonderful blessing. And I was saying, God, the church has got a home, but what about me? And we had been looking ever since we got that word, we started looking at everything that came on the market. We were keeping our realtor busy at that time, just seeing all these different places. And, you know, as things went on, you know, it was like, we asked like the broker, okay, how much can we afford? And you know, they always tell you a large number. Don't ever go with it because you really can't afford that. Always go with less. And so we had been looking at that number they gave us and we were looking at all these houses and we came across this really clean and shiny house and we we're like, oh yeah, this one's great. And uh, we, we put an offer in and they accepted. But the more I prayed about it after they had accepted, I was like, this isn't right. And I started running the numbers, and I'm like, we can't afford this. I'm like, God, either you have to do a miracle in our finances, or this is not the right house for us. And he said, this is not the right house for you. <laughs> I'm like, well, thanks for being plain about it, God. And so I don't even know if I ever told Robin this. I, I was out walking one day by myself, and I was walking near where the house was. And I said, God, just cause that deal to fall through. And within a week, the deal fell through, and we were like, woohoo. And, well, at least I was. <laughs> and we kept looking, and we kept looking, and we kept looking, and finally, Robin sent this ad for this little house, which seemed little. And I looked at it, and I'm like, no way, it's too small, it's ugly, and I don't like the location. And she said, you know what? Let's go see it anyways. <laughs> and so we walked in, and as soon as I walked through those doors, it was this is home. Amen. So we bought it. And it was like $70,000 cheaper than the other houses we had been looking at. And it was, it was a major blessing to us. And so let's get back to 2015, 2016. We've been living in the house for about a year and a half, two years at that point. And we've renovated it through, started to make it. We really loved the house. We really did. But we started to feel unsettled in it. You know, you know when God's starting to move you on when he's starting to prepare you for more. And we thought we'd be there for about five years when we bought it. Well, we've only been a year and a half, two years, and we're already feeling it's time. It's getting time. God doesn't have to do things according to your plans. We were thinking five, and he's thinking two. And so it started to stir up in our hearts like, you know, we're finding the kids are being noisy. We know our neighbors on both sides are working shift work and so they're sleeping during the day and our kids are going, ah, in the backyard and you're always like, Harrison, be quiet. 
the neighbors are trying to sleep and we felt like it was just becoming more of a burden and you know you can, your blessings when you've overstayed your season can turn into a burden you got to know when it's time to move on with god so robin and i sat down and we decided okay what is it that we really want where do we want to be long term and so we came up with a list of things. The house had to have so much space. We wanted so much land. We wanted to be in a certain school district. And you, again, you would think, now that we've got our list, we've decided what we want, we know what we're believing for, you would think, all comes right together. No, you'd be wrong. <laughs> and so we start looking around, and we went and looked again. We looked at lots, because once you get in there, you just know mm, whether this is right and whether this is wrong. And you have to choose to whether to be obedient to that knowing or to move on. And so we had looked at one house that was really great, and it, it needed a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And looking back at it, it was too much work. And we tried to get that, and it fell through, and, and we were a little disappointed after it. And, but we kept on. We kept going on. And... Uh, it just needed so much work, that last one, and not finding anything that fit, we began to compromise. You know, we had what we wanted, we knew where we wanted to be, but you know how you're co you know you've compromised? You're looking at things that don't fit what you want and not in the right location. We began to compromise. And you know, that's where I want to jump into the Bible here for a second before we come back. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we find Abram. He's still living in, his, in the, the land that he started in. And the Lord said to him, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land which I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. And you would think that right there... Abraham all of a sudden had kids and was super wealthy and all these great things, but that's not how the story goes. Uh, three chapters later, it starts this way. Sometime later, which we know this to be about 10, 11, 12 years from that point, Abraham's still not those things. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you. And reward, your reward will be great. But Abraham replied. So you mean he's a little frustrated because he was quick to turn back and say this to God. Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, my, the servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so no one, so one of my servants will be my heir. And the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And the Lord took Abram outside, and he said, Look into the sky and count the stars. If you can, that's how many descendants you'll have. God gave him an anchor point. God said you're going to be blessed and you're going to have many descendants. And you've got to think that every time Abram looked up at night, he was reminded of God's promise. And verse 6 says, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted on him as righteous because of his faith. Now you would think that everything would come together right there, wouldn't you? The Lord has made this wonderful declaration to him again. He's given them an anchor point. He can go out and see the stars and be reminded that's how many of my descendants are going to be. But no. No, that's not where the story ends. Verse chapter 16 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, this is now several years later after that point, 
had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. So she was blaming God. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So you would think, oh, he's got a son. It's not the son of promise. It was the son of compromise. And when you're on your journey of faith, you will always have opportunity to compromise. Don't. So let's go back to our story and our avoiding our Ishmael. So by early fall of 2016, so now we've been looking for a while. We've been looking at everything. We were looking at a bunch of stuff we shouldn't have been looking at in areas that we didn't really want to live, but we we're thinking, oh, you know, we could make it work. You don't ever want to make it work. And we came across this house in the area we were looking at with most of the boxes checked that we wanted to have. And, uh, you know, you have to learn, I need to learn, that something that is good doesn't necessarily mean something that is God. And everything about this house was good. We could have lived there. And so we, uh, it had the space we need. It needed some updating, but not a lot. We like a project. It had some land. The price was good. We put in an offer. They accepted it. And we were like, this is great, our house is coming, but something still wasn't right about it. We just needed to sell our first miracle before we could move on to our new life. Guess what? No one wanted to buy our little miracle. <laughs> we had open houses, nobody came to them. The people who did book showings, they were always very short showings. No, there was never any more response beyond that. And our closing dates came and went. We tried to extend them, and they didn't, they didn't want to. And there we were without a house. It's still living in our first miracle when we know we were supposed to be moving on. And we thought, what now? We were frustrated. We were like, God, we've been looking for like a year and a half now. What's the deal? You put it on our hearts to move. We were content here. You were the one that made us uncontent. And you start to blame God for things. You know what? I'm okay with that. Abram was the same way. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. And one day Abraham was sitting in the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day. And he looked up and he noticed three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them, and he welcomed them, bowing down to the ground. And my Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while the water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. So Abram was focused on the Lord's journey, and uh, you know what? The Lord was focused on His. And when you feel like you don't know where to go, go back to God because He's the one that's going to walk with you through the journey. So God shows up on Abraham's doorstep when it's been a number of years now, 12 years to be exact, leading us up to a total of about 22 years at this point since the promise to the point we're at now. And He says, all right, do as you've said. So he prepares some food, and he says, where is Sarah, your wife? 
She says, she's inside the tent. And then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. And Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. And Abraham and Sarah were both old by this time. And Sarah was long past the age of having children. And I love what she says here. She says, so she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. So you got to think, she's not thinking kids are coming. She's thinking, she called herself old and worn out. She's not thinking, kids. She's given up on the promise. But God had come to remind them of the promise. And then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? you got to remind yourself that on the journey. Is anything too hard for the Lord? But God, it's been too long. It didn't happen the way I thought it should. You know, blah, 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 blah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? So I'll return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So, back to our story. We're a little discouraged. We've been looking for like a year and a half. We've looked at all these houses. We've had these, these ones that weren't right. And so we were getting to the point of, you know, giving up. And that's where you turn back to God and you say, God, you put this in my heart to do. And so that's what we did. We prayed about it. We said, God, we just trust that it will be in your timing and that things will work out the way they need to be. And while we were sitting a little bit discouraged, Harrison came into our bedroom. I don't remember what he was playing with. And we just said to them, Harrison, should we sell this house and move somewhere else? And he just stopped. And he turned to the clock on our wall and he says, it's not time yet. And then went back to playing. Never looked at the clock before then. Never cared about the clock since. Does not know how to read an analog clock. But he could see what we were missing out on. That we'd been trying to force our timing when we should have just been resting in God. So we did that. We went on vacation. We flew to California with all the boys and we spent some time with my sister and brother-in-law and their kids and we were sit just sitting there floating in their pool. The boys were having such a great time and God said to my heart as I was just floating there having a great restful time, he said, go look at that house with a pool. And I knew immediately which one he had said. Now fast forward five years before then. Harrison is a little baby. Robin has some friends that she, she would go out with and they would go to this old couple's house where they had an indoor pool and they would take the babies swimming in there. And one time I went with them and I remember going through the house and I was like, oh, this is a really nice house. I would love to have this house. And the couple was going to be selling it just shortly after that, but it was way, way, way out of our price range. We couldn't afford it at all. So the house sold, went on. Every time we drove by that house, I'd be like, yeah, that house was a really nice house. You know, it was something in the back of my mind, not thinking I'm ever going to buy it. But there floating in the pool as I was just resting in God, he said, go look at that house with the pool. Now, at this point, I don't even know what's on the market. I knew last time I couldn't afford it. So even if it was on the market, I'm not buying it because I'm not going to make dumb financial decisions. But sure enough, we get home. I said it to Robin. I'm like, I think we need to go look at that house with the pool. And I pull up the Realtor app, and sure enough, here's the house 
no longer out of our price range. It's come way down in price. And we're like, okay, God, obviously you've got something going on here that we couldn't see at that time. So we went and saw it, and we walked in, and it needed work. But we're not afraid of work. But it was home. You always follow that peace. Never pass up your peace, or you'll find yourself in struggle. So we went. The price was right. We put in an offer. They accepted it. The house was unoccupied, so we could take it quick if we could. But we still had to sell our first miracle. Now, you got to think about this for a second. Last time we put it on the market, it sat and sat and sat and sat and sat. We lowered the price, we lowered the price, we lowered the price, passed where we wanted to go, and nobody wanted it. And so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, nobody wanted the house six months ago. Why would they want it now? Don't let the devil play tricks like that in your mind. We said, what do we sell it for? And so God gave us the number. We set it up. Within two weeks, it was sold for more than we wanted. Because God always goes above and beyond. Just because it didn't work out the way you wanted in the past doesn't mean God can't work it around this time. So we sold our house in two weeks and we moved into our new miracle. And that's where we've been living ever since. Still with a lot of work to do. <laughs> but when you're on your journey of faith, find out where you're going. Put your faith and action to it. Don't compromise. Don't give up. Genesis 21, 21. The Lord kept, or 21, 1. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. And this happened at just the time God said it would. It was about 25 years. It may not happen in your timing. It may not happen as you thought it would, but you believe God and it shall come to pass. So I want to end on this verse for you this morning. It says, do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience. When your faith locks on, patience isn't a problem. Patience is not a time frame. It's an attitude. Meaning, my God always comes through. Doesn't matter if I wait 25 years or 25 minutes. My God will come through. But the word that's stirring in my heart is compromise. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to compromise and learn to live with less. And God wants you to hold on to your faith and learn to walk in more. So why don't you stand up with me this morning? I don't know where you're at in what you've been believing God for or what you're looking for in your life, but he knows. And my word for you is don't compromise and don't give up. Right now, let's refocus our faith. Everybody lift up your hands. Father, we thank you for what you're bringing us through. We know that what you have promised in your word, it shall 
come to pass. And so right now, Lord, we refocus our faith and we add our faith once again to it. We direct our words to it now in the name of Jesus that as we have believed, so shall it be. It doesn't matter what the obstacle may be, it shall come to pass. Now, if that word is for you, go ahead and say, thank you, Father. Thank you that I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to compromise. It shall come to pass for me. Yes, it shall come to pass for me. Yes. Oh, yes. Because great are you, Lord. Yes, he's great in your life. Oh, great are you, Lord. You're great in our finances, Lord. Yes. Oh, great are you, Lord. You're great in our bodies. We declare them healthy, Lord. Yes. Oh, great are you, Lord. You're great in opportunities for us. We speak jobs and better jobs, Father. Yes, great are you. We thank you that you restore relationships that we thought were long gone. Yes, Father. Yes, great are you, Lord. You renew our strength. You renew our minds. And you lead us into peace, God. Yes, great are you, Lord. Jesus. Great. maybe you're in this place this morning or you're watching via the internet and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life you can't believe in someone you don't believe in and so you've got to start your journey with the most important thing you'll ever believe for and that's for him to be your savior and we don't want you to wait another moment we want you if you're watching us at home just go ahead and reach your hand out to the screen and we're just gonna pray with you father we thank you for Jesus. And right now we invite him into our lives. We thank you that you are our Savior, Jesus. You are our provider. You are our healer. And now we call you our Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that at home... I want you to get in contact with us. We'd love to get you hooked up with a good church. If you prayed that in here this morning, we have some great resources we'd like to put in your hands. And we'd also say, welcome home. We're a great church. Hook up with us. But God has great things for you, church. Don't compromise and don't let go. The journey may not take you over like you thought, but he will bring you through. And so you guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week. Let's have some coffee and fellowship.